I, I love to be just a little bit early or a little bit late, just going into the movement or just coming out of it. I think that's perhaps the most exciting movement. It's like watching a kettle of water start to boil just before it, it, that exciting moment is that moment just before everything bubbles. Just before you've reached the peak or just after as you're falling out of it. And I think, I think that's true in all the art forms. I don't think we're just talking about photography or dance photography. Welcome to AI Arts In, the podcast produced by Creative Vanellis. This is your host, Barbara St. Clair, and I am here today with Paula Kramer and Tom Kramer. Paula is a dancer, and Tom is her husband, and he is a photographer. And when I was preparing for this, I read a quote from Paula. Of greatest importance is my collaboration in life and in the arts with my husband, Tom, a photographer best known for his work in dance. So we are fortunate today to have both Paula and Tom with us. And how'd you guys meet? <laughs> we met on a blind date. We were fixed up on a blind date by someone that neither one of us were terribly fond of. But that evening I went home and told my mother that I'd met the man I was going to marry. Where did you go on your date? A beach party. And so you knew right away. I did. She didn't tell me. Did you know right away? No. When did you find out? When she told me. <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of fell into it. And you were dancing then? Not very much. Not very much. I really didn't get thoroughly involved in dance till I was 22 and it was after we were married. But I had always done the dance studio thing. So many kids at that time, their parents wanted them to be Shirley Temple. But my family are dancers. My mother was a championship ballroom dancer, had cousins who were in the profession. So when did you discover that aspect of yourself? We were in Cleveland, we were married, and I joined an organization called the Cleveland Modern Dance Association. And they brought in phenomenal professionals monthly with whom you could study choreography, composition, technique, and representatives of the Jose Limon Company, the Martha Graham Company. I mean, the best, the best. And I just got rehooked, mm -hmm. rehooked. And I needed to make sure that Tom was going to be on board with me because there were other women in my group whose husbands were not on board with them. And it made their study and their devotion to the art form difficult. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to get very active, and I needed to make sure that Tom understood what modern dance was. I mean, the real deal, the real thing. So I waited for the right company to come to town, and Tom and I went. And I kept asking him in the performance, what do you think, what do you think? And he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he would not say a word to me. And afterwards, he just looked at me and he said, go ahead, and that began. That began the real serious study. And you were a point. photographer at that time? Yes, but not. I, I knew nothing of dance, had never photographed mm -hmm. dance. What she didn't tell you is that she set me up. That particular concert happened to be the Jose Limon Company, which was one of the two greatest modern dance companies of that era. So I was seeing the best. I didn't know it. I thought all dance would be that good. Well, on that program were all iconic pieces that are still considered classics today. The Morris Bavan, based on uh, Otello. There is a Time, based on Ecclesiastic. Uh, Misa Brevis, a small, the small mass. And in that company were the iconic 
dancers of that era. It was the best. It worked. But you moved to Detroit to study instead of staying in Cleveland to study? Not to study. There was such a thing as making a living. Mm -hmm. So my husband got a job in Detroit. You became a professional dancer? Not Uh really. Not really. I was a, a, a wife and mother, and I was teaching dance, and I was working with my husband, who at that time was a, working for an importing firm out of Chicago, and I knew I couldn't do everything. I knew I wanted to teach. I knew eventually I wanted to choreograph. I could do three things. I couldn't do four things. And being a professional dancer is a total commitment. I mean, you just, that's it. You just have to do it. So I went, I went to university, to Wayne State University, to study creative dance for children mm-hmm. and modern dance. And that's where I, my career really began at that point in Detroit. There's a wonderful community of dancers there, and there still are in the city. Detroit gets a bad rap, but when it comes to the arts, they can't be beat. And then you became a photographer for dance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as Paula began to perform... She was a part of a regional professional dance company. At that point, she was a professional dancer. And regional professional dance companies are long on talent and short on money. And so the relatives, the husbands, the wives are all brought into service. If they happen to be good in math, they're probably going to run the box office. And if they know which side of the ticket to tear, they'll be a ticket taker. If they can see in the dark, they'll probably be an usher. If they can't do anything, they'll be floor manager, which I was. And I happen to know which end of the camera the lens was on, so I became company photographer. Well, dance photography is just very different than, than theatrical photography, than a portraiture. You really have to know where movement is coming from and where it's going to, and to be able to anticipate it, to uh, value the person that you're working with. Trust them to trust you. It goes back and forth. And Tom's photos, he actually dances right with the dancer. He'll be on stage. He'll be below the stage. He'll be, you know, from from the wings. He breathes with the dancer. And frequently the dancer will say, I didn't know, you know, what it was really like to work with a photographer until I worked with you. So when I was looking at your photographs, which are distinct, they, they have their own visual signature. It's very powerful. But what really struck me was how dance is so ephemeral, even compared to any other performing art. Dance always exists in its own time, in real time, and is somehow unrecoverable. We are the stuff of which the dance is made. And this is it. We really don't need music. We don't need... We don't need lighting. We, we don't need anything. We have our bodies. This is what. This is how we show our power. Right. right. And and that gets lost always in any film. And when I saw some of your photography, I had this sense of there was a before that photograph and there was an after, and that it really had captured the essence of that magic thing in dance that is only available generally when you're in the actual audience for that dance. Well, thank you so much for that because that's what exactly what I had hoped you would uh, experience is to look at the photograph and say, oh, gee, that's what I saw and, and nothing more. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so it, I, I sensed a true collaboration. I, I think there's a new, a different art that's created. You have your dance and you have your photography, but the culmination of both of them together is its, its own very special thing. It's palpable at a concert. I mean, we'll sit next to each other. We know instinctively what's, what's evocative on that stage. What's, what's going on there? And we, we feel very close to St. Petersburg. And it opened its arms to us. Tom feels very privileged to be able to say that his work is in private collections at galleries and museum collections here. He had a one-man show at the Lipa Ratner Museum. He has work accepted in the permanent collection of the Museum of Fine Arts, the Walter Ruther Museum up up north. He's a lecturer relating photography to other art forms. At the Museum of Fine Arts, he's done it informally at the Dali and Eckerd, Eckerd College. But the joy that he finds in his photography is being able to share it. He is a living, breathing, working artist that loves to be in and among other artists. And that's a real joy. That seems to be true about both of yeah. you, actually. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. So how long were you in Detroit? 37 years. And all that time you were with the Detroit Dance Collective? Pretty much, most of the time. The company is still going. There were four of us that began the company. Uh, There's one left. Mm. (laughs) And it's still touring and working with folks of all ages at all skill levels and um, creating new works, several new works every year. Well, that's a pretty cool legacy. No, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I think so. We might add that Paula was a founding artistic director as well. Oh, yeah, well, well, so there were the four of us. We really didn't know what we were doing, but we did it. So what is a day in a, the life of an artistic director of a dance collective? Well, when you're finished sweeping the studio, it's all the nitty-gritty stuff, plus the fundraising, plus the uh, artistic nature of, of, of the, the artistry that you that forced you to do this kind of thing anyway. You do the choreography, you try to make sure that you can attract dancers that have your artistic vision. You have to make sure your dancers are happy. You have to go out into the community and solicit support for your work, either financially or finding space or uh, schools in which to work. There's so much, you know, it's not unlike a business in some cases, except that sometimes it's more business than art, and then you have to step away from mm-hmm. that and say, no, you're there to do the art and, and trying to find a decent balance uh, mm-hmm. between that and then there's the rehearsal schedules and if you're on tour making sure that that the company is taken care of and that and that you're being kept safe mm-hmm. both artistically and physically it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of work so as a choreographer can you describe for me what the process of developing a new dance is for you Maybe Tom can help with that as well. Um, I don't necessarily go out looking for something to, quote, dance about. But most of my, I would say 90% of the works I did and still do, are things people dance about. I'm not a pure movement Mm -hmm. choreographer. I find uh, inspiration from literary sources, from visual art. Sometimes there's a piece of music that uh, draws me in, but then I have to find out about the music, what's it about, and that gives me that gives me inspiration for the dance. 
you just have to just start working. You go back to the craft. When I was working on choreography, I would go back to what I did when I was teaching creative dance for children. I go right to visual arts, visual arts elements, line, shape, design, form, negative and positive space, symmetry and asymmetry, lyrical and a lyrical flow and percussive movement. Just go back to some of those ideas. Maybe there would be a phrase that, you know, would just come, and then I would try to manipulate it. The way you do with clay, maybe. Just manipulate it. Then you go, and I never, I've never gone into the studio with something complete. I will give something to the, the dancers to do, and I watch to see what, mm-hmm. what they're doing with it, and they become, quickly they become collaborators. So if I see something that really is working, I will incorporate it. The great Martha Graham said, don't show me anything you don't want me to steal. <laughs> and I was there when she said that too. So it, some choreographers will go in with a set piece, mm-hmm. lar- large blocks of movement, and they'll manipulate from there. I go from some thematic material and then begin to manipulate. So do you, do you see it in your head and then you annotate it and write it down? Or do you do it yourself with your own body and then annotate it and write it down? Yes. Yes to both? <laughs> yes. I have the long legal pads. I'm listening to music all the time. But I rarely I rarely let the music lead me. I'm just listening and putting it in my portfolio, mm-hmm. in, my, in my head. Uh, so I'll write notes, or I'll come up with a phrase, and I'll write it down. Uh, some people use what's called Laban notation, which is very complex. I studied it. I got an A in it. I forgot it the next day. Mm-hmm. It's just it I've just seen works that way and and you know the score is is it's a horizontal score and it goes on and on and on and on but i write down notes and then luckily now we have videotape mm-hmm. so you can videotape rehearsals mm-hmm. you can see what you want you can show it to the dancers and say no yes try more here reach there how do you know when you start how many dancers are in your piece that you choreograph uh, Sometimes you just have to be practical. I only have five dancers, mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay. the piece will be for five. Okay. Um, sometimes uh, what you want to say can be only set by one person. Sometimes it's a, it's a commission, and there are 12 dancers for whom they've asked you to make a piece. But um, yeah, it usually works out well one way or the other. Her, her work evolves. She starts off very simply. And then gradually it layers and layers and layers until it's completed. I've seen other dancers who do just the opposite. They start with an enormous amount of material. It's a huge jumble. And then they have to pare away. And I think probably authors and playwrights have that same problem. Mm -hmm. But Paula starts simply and just lets it develop organically, typically using the dancers that, that she has and the talent that they have and bringing it in. And it's very interesting as someone who watches her work to see the same work performed with different companies and different dancers, and at times different numbers of dancers because the company will grow and shrink over the years, and and just see how it changes with the personnel. So you photograph Paula's dance, but you photograph other dancers as well. Yes, of course. And one of the things that Paula said about you right away was that you could always tell your photographs. Does Paula have a distinct choreography style so you can always tell that it's 
one of her dances? No, it changes with the subject matter. Now, she's not agreeing with yeah, you. <laughs> it changes with the subject matter. No, it isn't a specific style. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. But, it, but it's drawn from the studies that I did with the Limon Company and influenced from the Graham Company, even though I was never a, could never do the Graham technique well. But her work, very dramatic, uh, very dramatic, has had a great deal of influence on me. And the Limon, the Limon work, which is a lot of breath of fall and rebound and fall and rebound and uh, also has a lot of percussive movement to it as well as well as lyrical lyrical movement. I like to work a lot with gesture. So gesture is very important in my work and also clear, sharp, delineated movement. So when you say like a sharp, clear movement. Percussive. Percussive. So what does that look like? Okay, so I can give it to you in sound. Yeah. That's a percussive okay. sound. That's so a percussive how does that movement. look when it's danced? It's like slicing, a slice. Percussive movement is movement that starts quickly and finishes quickly. It can be very loud, or it can be like a flick, but it has a particular point in time. And it, it might be one percussive movement right after the other, but generally you have to have some kind of beautiful connectors, wonderful connectors. But my work is recognizable from the subject matter more than... In what way? A lot of my work is Holocaust work, and I deal with social, social issues, social conscience. For me, dance is a social statement as well as an artistic statement, and I know that many people feel that art does not have a political nature to it, but it does for me. And I feel it is more satisfying when I see a dance theater piece that may have some narrative to it, I just, I just feel that that's how I can make my statement. So you mentioned, Paula, that a lot of your work is around the Holocaust. Yes. How did that come to be for you, such I'm an important Jewish. thing? I'm Jewish and it's my culture. The piece, this solo is called Beyond Words. And I have a book at home that's Art of the Holocaust, and I'm going through it, and I'm seeing all these incredible images of uh, artists who were interned in, in Auschwitz and in Dachau. And they just spoke. I had to do something. And there was a piece of music that I had heard a long time ago. We, we went to uh, uh, Tanglewood, and we heard Don Upshaw, the mm. singer, yes, singing yes. the Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, and I knew somehow I'd have to. I'd have to do that. So that was years ago. I had to do. I had to do something. I made a piece for Hillsborough Community College first, and it was a group piece. And then I distilled from that piece this solo work. So when I was looking up the music again, and I had it in my drawer for a number of years, I knew that I was going to use it. But I also knew that in the concentration camps and in the and in the the um, the cars, uh, people were writing on the walls, I am here, let people know that they were here and writing messages. So I open up the CD and I'm reading, that's what he was writing about. He knew about that too. I did not know that. And once that all came into my psyche, actually, it was one of the easiest pieces wow. to choreograph, especially the solo part of it, the, dis the dis distillation. So it has visuals, it has three visuals that meld one into the other. And the uh, dancer writes on the wall, and writes on the floor, and writes on herself. 
Another piece that I did was called Travelers on the Same Road. I was, we went to a funeral. And in the morning, uh, the morning service, there's a part of the prayer said, we're all travelers on the same road toward the same end. Bing. <laughs> and it was, it turned into, it turned into that. Then there's the musician, Steve Reich, who wrote a piece called Trains. And I'm listening to this piece and it's, it's repetitive, but it's gorgeous. And it's, it has such depth to it. And you hear trains and you hear Holocaust survivors in it and you hear whistles. And so I said, okay, this is something that students need to know about. So in Detroit, I worked with 90 students from three different high schools and told them the story of, of uh, Steve Reich, who said that while these children were riding trains going to the concentration camps, he was riding from New York to Los Angeles to Chicago. His parents were divorced. So he wrote that piece of music when he put it together that while he was riding those trains, kids in Europe were riding the other trains. Meanwhile, these were all African-American children. So the passage, the slave passage, was the same thing. Mm -hmm. They were in cars, they were in boats, and they were all jammed together as well. So we went through that whole thing with the three different high schools, and I built a piece based on Steve Reich's music. And I used images that we all know, putting um, notes in the Jerusalem wall, in the Western wall. We had a big pile of rocks on the stage. And you know, when you go to a Jewish cemetery, you put a rock mm -hmm. on the, on the uh, grave to mark that you were there. And one group was piling rocks while another group was dancing. And as they would leave and they would leave, another one would enter and another group came and put notes into the rock. So I use images, images, familiar images, but I want to take it a little further, put it into an art form. I like communicating with the audience. What sounds to me is I'm listening for the 90 children. It must have been very intense for them, too, to participate in that. Well, we talked a lot. I value the written word, and I talk a lot to my dancers. And they write one of the pieces that, Tom, that I did with Tom. Uh, they had to write poetry on places that were of that in which they felt power or comfort, and they had to write about it before we even got started with uh, the choreography. A poet came in and rearranged their words for them and recorded it, and that was the narrative. He photographed them in these places around Detroit, and that was used as the setting for the, for the piece that was the stage designed. And they all wore white so that as they moved through the images, they became screens. Wow. So it, so it became three-dimensional. But they were also able to go behind the screen as well to be silhouetted and then move around and through the space and carry the images with them. The, these were all images that were important to them. One of the dancers was from Vietnam during the war. His memory was with, of being hit with his mother at train stations and constantly going from train station to train station. So we worked together to create a graphic that would work with that. Another was uh, rumbling through her grandmother's attic and all the wonderful, interesting things that were in the attic. So these were all personal stories. Mm -hmm. And I created somewhat abstracted images, which were then projected. And the dancers all had spaces on the stage 
and they danced within their own space, but they also danced within each other's space. So it was a collaboration of a photographer, a choreographer, and each of the dancers and their personal stories. And then the poet who organized it into a, a script or a... Yeah. No, it was a narrative. a narrative. And it was called Unknown Sequence because we really didn't know where we were going with all right. of that. It was an unknown sequence from the very beginning. One of the things that Paula was very active in over the years was providing arts education to mm -hmm. children. And she was one of the innovators nationally in creating integrated arts camps for children in Detroit. And her, her camp became a model for other arts camps throughout the country. And when you're saying integrated, you mean... Talk oh. about the integration of the arts. The company had a program called the Dance About series. This is what people dance about. And we would make performances and classes that integrated the arts into educational curricula. Dance as it relates to social science, as it relates to, to English, uh, English studies, into mathematics, into sciences, because dance is physics and science, it just is. <laughs> how did you come, how did you come to, to I, It came out of my studies at Wayne State University with a really remarkable woman, Ann Zerolik, who was not only a good friend, but was my mentor. Her mission was to encourage school teachers to incorporate the arts into their teaching. And I was just bitten by that book because I could see what it would do. I would work with children in schools that it, teachers said, well, they're never going to, they're never going to get this. They're never going to get this. But if you danced it, you got it. I mean, you could dance a verb and um, an adjective, a, a verb and an adverb. You walk softly. There you are. There's a verb and an adverb right there. So she taught us and taught many of the members in my company too, how you can infuse the arts into education. The company traveled all throughout the state. Some years we reached more than 10,000 children in performance and in classes. So we worked all the way from children that had special needs all the way through the super gifted programs. We found them to be absolutely the same. We taught the same class. <laughs> it didn't make any difference. Then we established a uh, camp for children in the summertime, intensive work in the arts, and we hired professional artists, ceramist, musician, writer. I did the dance portion. Our ceramist was fabulous because she also taught water ballet. <laughs> so we had swimming. We had synchronized swimming. <laughs> Boys and girls. And we had children who had special needs integrated into the program totally. And one of the one of the mothers, I'll never forget this, if I did nothing else good in my life, I remember her saying, I love this program because when I see Micah dance, I see him as any other child. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. And it, it resonated further down because years and years later, my daughter marches in a march in Washington and this woman is next to her and turns to her and says, are you Paula Kramer's daughter? Oh my. <laughs> and it was this mother. <laughs> wow. It was this mother. It was, it, was it was amazing. So you never know <laughs> what you do just lives, lives on after. But I think the work that I've done with the children has been a, as meaningful to me as anything that I've done. I've enjoyed working in arts and healthcare here at All Children's and at St. Anthony's Hospital working one-on-one -on -one with patients in their rooms. We dance together. Those that can get out of bed, we dance. Those that can't, we do gestural movement. We do breathing exercises together. And we do mirror movement together. That's been very rewarding. So you go to the hospital and... Yeah. 
Do they know you're coming or? Patients, no. 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 You just knock on the door and say, hey, I'm. Sometimes. <laughs> I'm Sometimes. a dancer. I want to dance with Sometimes. you. Sometimes. Oh, I have a bag of tricks. <laughs> if uh, someone is just a little reticent, I said, okay. I said, will you give me just five minutes to do my job? Generally, they're they're very happy just to just to see someone and just breathe. The children are fabulous, and you work with the parents and the children. Well, with the art, the arts and medicine is a national initiative that's now happening all over the country. Oh yeah, bringing artists into the hospitals to work with the patients and indeed with the staff. Oh yeah, to help with stress reduction. I get a doctor that'll every once in a while I'll come out of the elevator and he'll go, oh, he'll take a breath and stretch. Oh, have fun. I think you can probably break dance photography down into two general categories. The first being production and just working with the companies, photographing their dances, creating a history. And it's something I've been doing for over 50 years. I used to hate it. I thought it was worthless. You're, you're dealing in low light. You're dealing with lights that have been created by someone else, dances created by someone else. For me, it was not very satisfying. Now I look back after 50 years and I see that it was the photographs that I did 50 years ago. That's what people remember mm. the era by. That's, that's the only thing that remains of the dance. You talked earlier of the transient nature. Uh, it's those photographs that are represented in their collections. And periodically when we go back for an event, those are the photographs that'll be on display that are in the libraries mm -hmm. and the museums and so forth that represent the era. So with the perspective of time, I've come to understand that it really was important work. Yeah. I love working with dancers on an individual basis, working with them creatively, imp improvising. The collaborative process is just wonderful. I've spoken to dancers over the years who tell me that it is so different performing for the photographer on a one-to-one -one basis than it is performing and, and, and working with audiences and, and even other dancers. And that in many ways it has changed the way they have worked. Tell them uh, what happened with Clay and the, the dance that was well, made this, from photographs. This goes back many, many years. I, I was working with a dancer, a very pretty well-known dancer, who had just completed his work as one of the principal dancers with the Jose Limon Company. And he was going off and creating a new company with two other stellar performers. And we worked together. They didn't have a repertoire yet. And we were working together in my little postage stamp studio in Detroit. And this man is about 6'5". He was bigger than the studio. We worked for about three days, totally improvisation, in the studio, in the hallways, on the roof. We mm. just, he just danced. And then we would come back, I'd develop the film, I'd proof it, we'd spend half the night with our little loop yep. eyeballs on the uh, proof sheet and go over 35 that. 35 millimeter film. Right, right, <laughs> of course. With film, it was slow. It was hard to capture low light movement. It's not different now. It's just easier now. We have more tools to work with. And... Uh, about a year later, that company had their repertory together, and they were having their opening, their New York opening, and they invited me to come in and photograph the event. I'm watching the concert, and these are all premieres, and there is a dance, and I know this dance. 
and I can't possibly know this dance because it's a premiere and I've never seen it. After the performance, I went up to the dancer, his name is Clay, and I, I told him of the experience that I just had no idea how I knew that dance, but I did. And he says, well, I wasn't going to tell you. I wanted to know if, if you would notice. He said, but I created that dance from the contact sheets Oh my gosh! Of our improvisation ah, in your that's studio. That's amazing. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it was a marvelous experience for me. And I, I've had similar experiences over the years. Just recently, I did a photo session for a, a dancer performer who's in the process of creating a multimedia piece. And she had the costume done and a few ideas, but that's all. And uh, had asked me to, you know, I would create a photograph for the poster. And after just working with her for a few minutes on that, she mentioned to me, I just had all kinds of new ideas from the session. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's changed the way I, I view the character and how I'm going to proceed from this point. So I, I guess it's the integrative nature of the arts. It's that, collaborative. Uh, it works. It really works. Yeah. Your photographs, to me, are a story of movement, a story of color, and a story of lighting. Well, you, I'm a photographer, so you must start with light. Photography is the charting of light. And every once in a while, I get an opportunity to go on stage, to work with a lighting designer, and to create a light that works for photography. My light. I should say our light, the lighting designer, and myself. And, and light that for specific dancers, perhaps a specific dance. And that's exciting. But I, I, whenever possible, I will start with light. How do you see the lights? It, it has to be general because we're dealing with a moving object. So it, I, I can't light as I might light a still. The dancer is going to be moving in and out of the light. There will be pathways. And uh, you just have to have the feel of it. You have to see it happening when it's happening. You, you set up an environment where it can happen and hope for the happy accident when the dancer is moving beautifully and perfectly and her foot is just right. <laughs> and Paula is the protector of the dancer. If the foot isn't just right, she lets me know. Yeah. And just when it happens, it happens. And then color. Well, the color, the color we've had to sort of think about in advance. The stage lighting is typically oversaturated. We don't realize it when we're in the theater because the lights are down and the brain will adjust to it. We know what skin tone is, even though it might be too red or too blue or too pink. The camera does not know that. When we're setting up light for photography, we have to adjust for that. We have to keep it more natural, use a diff little different type of color saturation. And then, thank heavens, we have something called Photoshop today. Where oh. We can make the final adjustment. <laughs> Some of them are, are, they're explosive in the sense, they're not moving, obviously, they're still photographs, but that sense of potential or, you know, just some energy that is about to just explode I, I, right I, out. I love that. I, I, I love to be just a little bit early or a little bit late, just going into the movement or mm -hmm. just coming out of it. I think that's perhaps the most exciting movement. When you're at the peak of movement, it's stillness. And one of Paula's favorite statements is, silence is music and stillness is dance. It's not an original statement. <laughs> but it's one of her favorites. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
And when, you, when you're at the peak of movement, it, it is stillness at that particular moment. And that's magical, too, to have a dancer absolutely floating effortlessly forever because it's stopped. It's, it's right. there for you to see. Right. We want the viewer, and I feel that way in dance, too, to complete the action. Right. You complete it. It's like watching a kettle of water start to boil, bubble, just before it, it, that exciting moment is that moment just before everything bubbles. It's just before that, right. that time. And the slight asymmetry, just before you've reached the peak, or just after as you're falling out of it, that's, that's, that's exciting. <laughs> and I think, I think that's true in all the art forms. I don't think we're just talking about photography or dance photography. I think we're gonna find that's true of just any art form we will be discussing. But I'm trying to stay out of all of that. I'm the photographer. I'm trying to remove myself from it and stay out of it and just in, enjoy what's happening in front of me. There's this magnificent creature performing in front of me and share that with you. I choreograph for a few companies here. Uh, Moving Current Dance Collective, which is a professional company. Also, some of the colleges in the area. I've been an artist in red, dance artist in residence at the Dali Museum in their summer in their summer program, integrating movement into the uh, young artist studies. I've been a guest artist at the Museum of Fine Arts in terms of uh, workshops and classes for docents and that kind of thing. Once again, the pleasure for me is integrating dance into something else mm -hmm. at this point. Dance in, um, dance in words, dance. I love working with actors. I do. I just, I love, I love working with actors, with playwrights, painters. That's what I'm looking for. Inter-arts activities. Dance in visual arts. Not dance and music so much, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's not, not so much. I frequently choreograph or think of dance before I pick music, and then I try to make it a partner. It becomes a dance partner then. May, may I tell a story on Paula? Oh, absolutely. That's a follow-up to what she just said. She was working on a piece based upon a painting. This is in Detroit. A wonderful, wonderful painting, which we happen to own now, which is very quiet and very still, and it's one person from the back look, just looking at a wall. And it's a self-portrait of the artist. Her uh, name is her Joe name Powers. Her name is Joe Powers. Joe she's, Powers. She's from Detroit. She's a professor at the university there. Very shy person, and her paintings were very shy and always very still and quiet. Paula created a solo from this piece. The painter is also a poet and a writer and very good and created a script for the dance. Paula wanted her to stand on stage and narrate this. She was much too shy to do that. The first performance, the first performance, an actor read. The second performance, the artist actually read the script, but from off stage. The third performance, she ventured on stage, but stage left, almost off stage, and facing upstage, in other words, away from the audience. The fourth time, she actually appeared on stage facing the audience. When this occurred, her paintings changed, and the characters started to turn toward the front. Oh my gosh, that's okay? amazing. As she progressed, and there was a second co collaboration with Paula, which was in which she was more active and actually performed and moved. As that occurred, her, her figures became active. She then did an experiment. You, 
I'll, I'll let Go you ahead. Tell that. The experiment was fabulous. Her her figures are full of volume now, just full of volume and tough, really tough now. And so she would turn on Jerry Springer and turn off the sound on television and then play Wagner. And it sketch. Is, and sketch. <laughs> and she would draw, uh, draw, she would draw and paint to that. And it, you know, it sounds like it's totally, but it fueled this energy of movement. Wow. And while her paintings are, you know, they're still lives, of course, of people, they're so full of energy, pushing and pulling away from each other. So it was a totally different. So you and, and we it's still the power communicate. Of collaboration. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, it's twice. It's twice the fun and half the work. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it oh, really, yeah. really is. Dan shares the same vocabulary as the visual arts and his music, and in writing as well. The symmetry and the asymmetry, negative positive space, which was sculptural and, and in painting, thick gestures and light gestures, line, shape, design, form. Thank you so much. You're this very has been welcome. such an enjoyable conversation. And I am here, this is Barbara St. Clair. I'm here with Paula Kramer, a choreographer, a dancer, and a teacher. And I am here with her husband, Tom Kramer, who is a dance photographer, does beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you so much, Paula Our pleasure. and Tom. It's been great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI, the Creative Pinellas Podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.